0: In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, the Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest. And Jesus is our high priest. Now, one of the things you need to know about a high priest, I've always loved this study. If you go back early, early, early on, I'm talking book of Genesis early. Um, Was it Jacob and, yeah, Jacob and, Ra- his wife, Rachel, you remember the whole thing there. He wanted to marry Rachel. Uh, Laban, Rachel's father, tricked him. He ended up marrying Leah. And so at the end of the day, he's got two wives and their are sisters. Somebody say awkward. <laughs> Man, I'm glad some things have changed, aren't you? But he loved Rachel. Leah, eh. <laughs> he wasn't that into Leah. And she felt it. I mean, the Bible... G- paints a very clear picture. She feels very unloved. Uh, but they're, you know, one literally big and I won't say happy family, but they're a big family. And at one point, uh, Leah is kind of complaining and I guess it comes before God. She says, my husband doesn't love me, but then she has these sons and she says, well, the Lord has loved me and he's given me this son. So I'll name him this and this son, his name literally means loved. And this goes on for a while. She has a son. Named Levi. And she said, surely now my husband will be attached to me because I've given him this son and the name Levi literally means attached. That's why she named him Levi. Surely now he'll be attached to me. The reason I bring that up is because it's from the the family of Levi that that high priest came out of. And the high priest, starting with Aaron and his sons, and then in that family throughout generations, they had a lot of jobs, but basically one responsibility it was to represent God to the people and the people to God. What am I saying? The high priest was attached to both, he was attached to God as God's representative to the people, but he was attached to the people as their representative to God. Not interesting that it came out of that family attached. Now, Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which means it's from a different family, but still the same responsibility. Jesus we we get it that he is God's representative to man. We understand that. He's the, the visible image of the invisible God. You're looking at God in the flesh. But just as much as Jesus was God's representative to us, do you realize he is your representative to God? In other words, Jesus is just as attached to you as he is to God. He's attached. That's our high priest. That's our high priest. Our high priest went, and the scripture we just read, said passed through the heavens. He went all the way into that holy place. He went all the way up into the very presence and the throne of God. And he said, we don't have a high priest who's not touched with the the feelings of our weaknesses. No, he went through the same stuff you did, the same stuff I did, all the same temptations you faced, I faced, he's faced every one of them. He's just as attached to you as he is to God. The only difference is he didn't sin. That's your representative in the presence of God. We have a high priest that's in the presence of God right now representing you representing you. Have you ever wondered why you pray in Jesus name? Because he is your representative. And when you pray in faith in Jesus name, check this out in the presence of God at the throne of God, your prayer is now coming out of Jesus mouth. Can you imagine that? Your words coming out of his mouth, your requests. Coming out of Hisna, no, your high priest is in the presence. And He's attached to you as much as He's attached to God. Now He says this, though, in verse 16, the very next verse, let us therefore come boldly. Or because now that we realize we've got this high priest, this changes the way we come to God. Now, again, he's writing to Hebrew people. These are people that for generation after generation understood one thing. You don't go in there. You don't go into the presence of God. You don't go into that holy place. Your representative goes in there, right? And the legend that came out. Now, you can't find this in scripture anywhere. But there was a legend that, that arose out of the, the seriousness and the sanctity of that holy place And the legend said, we'll send the priest in, but we're going to tie a rope around that sucker and maybe some bells. Because if you're not back in 15 minutes, if you drop dead because you took some sin in there that you didn't know about, I'm not coming in to get you. We're going to drag your dead body out of there. Now you can't find that in scripture anywhere, but what you can find is that mentality of, I ain't going in. I'm not getting close to that. And now, because we have a new high priest, one that's gone in for us and didn't take the blood of a bull or a goat or some sacrificed animal. He took his own blood and made a new and living way. What's opposite of new and living? Old and dead. The old and dead way is gone. We've got a new and living way. The old and dead way was you can't go in because you're filthy. You've got sin all over you. You can't go in there. But the new and living way is this blood speaks for you. And now he has the audacity to write to these people and say, come boldly. Are you kidding me? Come boldly to the throne. If I'm hearing that for the first time, my thought is you go boldly. Let's see what happens to you. But if that's your approach to God, if you are standing far off out of fear of what he might do to you, then you have no idea what Jesus has done for you. It's a new and living way, not an old and dead one, a new and living one. And so because of that, he says, let's come boldly before the throne of what? Grace. It's that Greek word, charis, charis. Make a great name for a Bible school. Somebody write that down. (laughs) Karis, Come boldly before the throne of Charis, the throne of grace. Come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. Now listen to these words. Find grace to help. Grace to help. In a time of need, grace, cares to help. Now, if you don't know what's waiting for you at the throne, you're not going to come boldly. Boldness is the result of knowing something. Boldness is the result of being confident. And you're not coming boldly before the throne if you're not confident of what's waiting for you when you get there. If you halfway think that there's some judgment waiting for you when you get there, if you halfway think there's maybe some condemnation or God's about to smite you, whatever that means, or you've just got some old religious thinking that tells you God's angry with you, God's mad at you, there's no way you're coming boldly. The only way you or me or anybody else would dare... Come boldly before the throne of God, is if you knew what was waiting for you there. If you knew what was there was mercy, if you knew what was there was grace, if you knew what was there was all the help you needed, that's when you would come boldly. And that's what He's saying. This is what's waiting for you when you get here. Come on in. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't want God to 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 get me. I don't want God to zap me. That's not what's waiting for you here. It's not judgment waiting for you here. It's mercy. It's not anger waiting for you here. It's grace. It's help. Somebody say help. Help. I want to talk to you today about help. And when we see this word grace, this word charis, I want you today, for the sake of what we're talking about, immediately think help. His grace is his help. Now apply that to what you know about that church in the book of Acts, everything we already talked about, the Holy Spirit coming on these people, right? Preaching with power, the church growing, people giving to one another. We say that's great grace on them. But for today, what would you say? That's great help. These people are getting helped by God in a big way. I mean, think about it. What would your life look like with more help from God? Now you're sitting there going, well, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> 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 He's helping you more than you know. Without his grace and without his help, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. All the stuff you think you're doing on your own, all the day to day, all the the things you do on a daily basis and you think you do it because you, you know, you're you and you're so good at that. You're able to do this. He said, without me, you can't do any of it. He's helping us way more than what we already know. Now, what if you had more of that help? Hmm. What if you had not not just more help, more help from him? What would your life look like with more of God's help? What if you had 10% more help from God this year than you've ever had before in your life? Could you get some more things done? When somebody comes alongside and helps you, whatever was hard is now easier, isn't it? Because you're not carrying the load. You're not doing all the work. Somebody else is doing it. Well, what if you had... What if you had 50% more of the help of almighty God than you've ever had before? What would your life look like if you had twice as much help from God than you've ever had before? What if God was helping you twice as much in your marriage than he's ever been before? What if there was twice as much help and grace in your finances than you've ever had before? What about help on the job or in school or at home or in church? Lord, help us. What if we as a church had a thousand percent more of the help of God? What could we do? Huh? With his help. So when we see this word grace, this charis today, we're going to think what? Help. Now the Bible says in Galatians chapter two, you don't have to turn there. Just listen. Galatians chapter two, Paul wrote and said in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. Listen, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave. Now, if you remember back over the last few weeks, I told you when we're looking at scripture and we see anything especially in the New Testament, that carries with it the idea of a gift. Giving, given. And especially anything that comes to you as a gift from God through Jesus, you ought to think grace. And if you're thinking grace, then what else are you thinking? Help. So he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave. So now you got faith and grace working together, don't you? That's the only way to receive what grace is given is by faith. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now notice what he said. I do not set aside the grace. That's that word charis. So what is he saying? I do not set aside the grace or today we're going to say it like this. I do not set aside the help. I do not set aside the grace or the help of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I'm not going to set aside the help. What's he saying? You needed help. You, you couldn't save yourself. That's what he's saying here. If that righteousness came through the law, that would have been you in your own strength, under your own power, saving yourself. And if you could have done that, then Jesus' death would have been a total waste. But you couldn't do that. And his death was not a waste. You needed what? Help. I couldn't save myself. I needed help. I like the way the uh, King James Bible reads when he said there, I do not set aside the grace. I like this. He says, I do not frustrate the grace. I do not frustrate the grace of God. There is nothing, I think, more frustrating than watching somebody try to do what you're good at. You ever experienced that before? That's frustrating, isn't it? Somebody attempting to do, and I should say it like this, attempting and failing to do what you are really good at. That's frustrating. And Paul said, I'm making this decision. I'm not gonna frustrate the grace of God. Do you know how frustrating it would be for grace to watch you try to save yourself? And grace is going, you know, I can do this. I'm really good at this. I'm really good at saving. Been doing it for a long time. And you're going, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to do all these good works. I'm going to impress God so much that he's going he's bound to come knocking on my door and tell me he owes me some salvation. <laughs> do you know how frustrating it would be for grace to watch you try to heal yourself? How frustrating is it for grace to watch you try to be your own provider and meet your own need while grace is going, you know, I'm really good at this. Like really, really, This is my whole thing. And you go, no, 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 I got it. Frustrating. The Bible said in the book of James chapter four, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace. He gives what? Or Help to the who? The humble. I remember several years ago, I was really studying some of these things and had gotten so excited about the grace of God and and seeing some things in it I'd never seen before. And, and And it was things that was helping make sense to what I'd grown up believing. And man, I'm studying some of this and I come across this verse here in James chapter four, you see the same thing in first Peter chapter five. And it's a quote from the book of Proverbs, the Old Testament. Something about it bugged me though. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives that help to the humble. God resists the proud. I was having a hard time picturing God resisting the proud. And to be honest with you, it didn't sound gracey enough to me. You know what I mean by that? It didn't, man, that doesn't sound quite right. Maybe there's something lost in translation here. I just can't see God resisting somebody. So I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna start studying it and maybe some other translations and do some study on these words. And I ended up in this one translation called the Weiss translation. I wrote down what it says. It actually says, God sets himself in battle array against the arrogant and haughty. I thought, I'm gonna go back to resist (laughs) because that just got worse. He sets himself in battle array against the prideful, against the arrogant, against the haughty. Humility says, I need help. Pride says, I got this. Imagine with me for a minute. Let's say, for example, you're a mechanic and you've grown up around cars, around engines, your entire life. Let's say your dad was always working on them. And he was good at it, man. I mean, he just knew it inside and out. And as a, as a young person, a young man, a young woman, you were around that all the time. And from the time you were little, he's teaching you what all these parts are and where all these parts go. And you know, by the time you're eight years old, you're changing the oil. You know what I mean? By the time you're 12, you're, you're changing out spark plugs and you can do everything on this car. And then it became your profession right? You went to school on it and man, you could write the book on it and you've got experience with this kind of engine and that kind of motor. And man, you just know it all, right? You can, you can take one apart, put it back together, blindfolded in the dark, doesn't matter. You know this thing inside and out. You know where every piece goes. You know what every part does. And then let's say I'm your neighbor And I don't know any of that, but I get this idea that my car needs an oil change. How hard could this be? And you look out across the the fence one day and you see me, your neighbor laying in my driveway and I got engine parts scattered all across the front yard and there is a mess and you look over and I, I every finger's bleeding. I got a cut in my head. And you, you think, dear Lord, what in the world is going on over there? And so you come over and you come up next to me and you say, Jeremy, what are you doing? And I say, I'm, I'm, I'm changing the oil. (laughs) And you're like, well, then why are the tires off, bro? What, (laughs) what's going on here? Well, you know, I'm figuring it out right? It's my first time. I figured it out. If you are a good neighbor, you know what you would say? Stop for the love of all that is good and holy. Stop. Let me do this for you, man. I can do that. Let me do this for you and you don't even have to pay me. Just you stopping is payment enough. You're in misery. I'm in misery watching you. Stop. Let me do this. I can do this and have it done like that. Now, what would humility say? Huh? Humility would say, thank you. I need the help. Right? But what does pride say? I got this. I got this. When obviously what? I don't got this and it's me having it, which has made a huge mess of my life in my yard and my car, then you've all experienced this. You've taken something apart and you're putting it back together. You're like, well, what are these seven pieces? Where'd they come from? You know, I use this because this is probably exactly what would happen if I tried to do something like this on my own. Right? I mean, I'd be standing there looking at the open hood and, you know, I got my pants all pulled up and, uh, like, you know, the flux capacitor looks good. And <laughs> 1.21 gigawatts flowing there. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, meanwhile, here's you, a professional, an expert with experience, with knowledge, with know-how, with ability, ready to help. And pride would say, no, 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 I got this. How frustrating would would that be? How frustrated would you be standing there, ready and willing to help with no access? Why? Because I was prideful and said, no, 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 I got this. Grace is saying, let me help you. I want to help at home. No, 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 I got this. I want to help on the job. I got it. And what's the truth about that? Do you got it? No. Do I got it? No. That is a childish way of thinking. I got this is something that's ingrained as a child. But if you don't, if you and I don't put away childish things, put away childish ways of thinking, speaking and understanding, we are going to be full grown adults going, I can do it all by myself. Look at me. It's childish. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more.